The Triathlon Show 339. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode we have part two of my interview with Michael Lieberson. In case you missed it, last week we discussed uh, road bikes versus tri-bikes and uh, when it's worth to upgrade to a tri-bike or rather how much time you stand to gain or specific distances when upgrading from a road bike to a time trying trial bike as well as considerations for racing on hilly courses when might it make sense to choose one bike versus another how to set up your tt bike optimally if you race a hilly race with a tt bike and so on so go and listen to that if you haven't already and if that topic interests you uh, in today's part of the interview we discuss the currently available options on the aero sensor and aero testing market uh, how they differentiate from each other and what's to come in the future with new sensors and improvements of the currently available options michael was previously on the podcast last year in 2021 to discuss this topic but i wanted to bring it up again because aero testing to me seems like the next big frontier uh, if it's not here already it's the next big one uh, so staying up to date on what's going on is really important in my opinion uh, we already see in the pro fields how, how more and more pros are really getting super dialed. They are very uh, scientific with testing and so on and, and very aerodynamic compared to even three or four years ago. And I think that this shift is going to move on to uh, the top end of age group racing as well very, very soon if it's not here already. So that's why I took the opportunity to chat about this topic again with Michael. Uh, so uh, yeah, I hope that you enjoy this. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. That you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. One thing that I haven't mentioned so much recently is that on precisionfuelandhydration.com you can find a lot of athlete case studies from both pro athletes that use precision fuel and hydration and also age group athletes from different sports including triathlons of course but also uh, marathon running, cycling races, ultras and uh, and all sorts of different case studies. So you can see you can even filter by by conditions if it's hot or cold or hot and humid and so on you can filter by high or low sweat sodium concentration so so the case studies is a really useful section on the on the ph website to get an idea of how athletes are fueling their races and especially of course when you see athletes winning their races uh, then you can at least have an idea that okay so their uh, fueling and hydration strategy was not bad at least so so that can give you some insights into how to plan your own fueling strategy if you know that you are also for example a salty sweater and you're also doing a hot and humid race or whatever the case might be uh, as a listener of that triathlon show you can get 15 percent off your first order of fueling and hydration products on precisionfuelandhydration.com by using the code tts22 at checkout and thank you to Senate. Uh, the Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim bench that helps you improve your technique through an early catch. It helps you maximize propulsion through a more powerful stroke, and it helps you stay consistent by doing swim workouts at home even when you can't get to the pool. It's available in the UK, EU, and US, and has free shipping in both the UK and the US. It is very affordable, similar to a pair of running shoes, and best of all, the investment is risk-free. If you're not in love with the Senate Trainer after two weeks of using it and their free program, you can send it back and get a full refund. Learn more and get a 20% discount on your swim trainer on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's part two of my interview with Michael Lieberson. 
And we're back with uh, another part two of uh, our interview with uh, Michael Lieberson. Michael, welcome back. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, Michael, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much again for having me back. Yeah. So let's continue with uh, the second topic that we want to discuss today. And uh, for listeners that missed last week's episode, we discussed road bikes versus tri bikes. So you can go and listen to that if you didn't already. But today uh, I want to discuss uh, aerodynamic sensors, which I know that you've done a lot of interviews about and a lot of you have a lot of personal experience testing, working with clients with them. So uh, first of all, maybe just Give a definition for listeners that might not even know what we're talking about. What is an aerodynamic sensor? Sure. Um, so uh, obviously, and uh, go back to listen. <laughs> plus one for for going back and listening to the the road versus try uh, conversation that we just had. Um, but uh, I think most of the listeners to your show, Michael, appreciate the importance of uh, reducing aerodynamic drag in cycling and especially in triathlon, where you're you know, it's just you against the wind. There's, there's no drafting happening in most of the triathlon disciplines that we participate in. And, uh, you know, in that battle against the, <laughs> the aero drag, we have a few tools. Um, one that's probably been around the longest has been, the the wind tunnel, um, and which is of course very expensive and, and time consuming and, and very few people short of professionals or, or folks with very deep pockets have access to, to the wind tunnel in order to optimize their aerodynamic position. Um, there have been some really interesting um, computational fluid dynamics. So these are computer models that uh, that folks have used to um, to ascertain the aerodynamic drag of a, of a body. In this case, a cyclist and uh, his or her bike, um, and uh, try to optimize that position. So my co-host Andrew Buckrell, when he was with Stack, he uh, developed one of these, one of the early ones, uh, called a virtual wind tunnel. Um, there's a system from Swiss side as well. They have CFD. There's uh, there's a few other packages out there. Uh, and then the final one, the one that we're going to talk about today, are these field aerometers or aerosensors. So this is a device that uh, you would strap onto your bicycle. And what it what it tries to do is, in a nutshell, it uh, measures um, airflow. And then it talks to a whole number of other sensors on your bike or maybe sensors that are built into the unit itself. And what it's trying to accomplish is it's trying to calculate what your um, aerodynamic coefficient of drag, your CDA, uh, is and uh, then allow you to make decisions about how you want to either change your position or change your equipment to, again, become a more aerodynamic and therefore either faster cyclist or a cyclist who can hold the same uh, speed for with uh, less power. Yeah, and, and there are a few different use cases for this, right? So there's the use case of potentially being able to use it in real time and maybe seeing if something happens, something changes in your position. But maybe right now, from what I understand anyway, uh, a perhaps more relevant use case and more important use case would be Testing, testing different equipment, different setups or configurations and trying to control for as many factors as you can and, and then make informed decisions about those equipment choices and uh, position and configuration choices that you, you might want to make to, to become as aerodynamic as possible. Uh, is, is that correct? Yeah, I still think I think that's that's very much correct. In fact, we, um, uh, if I may plug <laughs> the most recent episode, actually depends on when this comes out, Michael. So one of the more recent episodes of uh, of our podcast, the Endurance Innovation Podcast, which we did with uh, uh, JP Ballard, of uh, who's the founder of Swiss Side, uh, his uh, like hot take was that there is no such thing as live CDA. So there's no such thing currently as the ability to give you a number um, that that tells you what your aerodynamic drag is 
you know, right now. Um, so his caveat on that was that, and I, and I couldn't agree with him more and he knows much more about this than I do anyway, um, is that you can do it if you have, uh, as he calls it a tale of data. So if you have, you know, historical data for the least the last, he put it at least the last 20 seconds to more comfortably the last 60 seconds. So you can't get live CDAs like this is your CDA right now. And I can get into the, why that is. Um, but you can get a pretty reasonable number if you know, if you, if you want to say this is your last CDA for the last 20 seconds or an even better, you know, more confident, let's say number, if you say this is your CDA for the last 60 seconds. So that I think is coming. I do believe that that is possible. I do, I have not used a device so far and I'll, and to be, to be honest, I haven't used all that many of them, but we'll get into that in a minute, um, that can do that today. But I do think that those, that, that devices that can give you a repeatable, honest an- number, um, in let's say the 60 second window are probably within 12 to 24 months away. Mm. Uh- Interesting on that note that uh, his hot take that there's no such thing as live CDA. I think he was a, a, a guest on your podcast, but I can't remember who it was that also said that there's no such thing as my CDA or your CDA. Like you can say that my FTP is 300 watts and my CDA is 0. 0.220 because CDA depends on so many factor so 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 the hot take that i heard was that yeah that's the case you you no person has one cda is that is would you agree with that a hundred percent so the so um the reason that's the case is uh even if you are excellent like an excellent uh experimental designer and by this i mean you can hold all other things very very constant let's say you can you know you're always riding on the same road or you've tested on your race course which is best case scenario and you have um you know your tire pressure is perfect that uh, and it's uh it well, by perfect i mean it's repeatable your tires are in the same kind of shape and you're excellent at holding the same position and you're wearing the same kit of course riding the same bike with the same bottle setup etc cetera, etc cetera. um if the wind is doing something different your cda is completely different because the the apparent cda the what you the rider experience is immensely affected by the wind and not only the wind strength but obviously the wind direction as well right so i mean the trivial case is okay riding into a headwind is hard and riding with a tailwind is easy you know I, I, no one's going to win the Nobel Prize for saying that. But if the wind changes direction, even a little bit sometimes, even from, you know, if the if the effective yaw of the of the airflow, so this is the uh, the direction that you as the rider experience the airflow, right? So it takes into account the wind speed, wind direction, plus your speed as a cyclist. Um, if it goes from, let's say, five degrees to 15 degrees, which is not a huge difference, it can have a massive difference in your CDA, right? So even if the wind changes a little bit or the road turns a little bit, um, or, you know, and a classic example would be if you, tr- if you make a 90 degree turn, your CDA is completely different. Right. Unless it's a yep. perfectly still day. If it's a perfectly still day, then your CDA is, you know, roughly the same. Let's say, well, let's say it's the same. But if there's a wind that's not very, very slow, you know, a reasonable wind speed, turning 90 degrees completely changes the angle that the wind hits you and it completely changes your CDA. So yeah, that, that, I wouldn't even call it a hot take anymore. That's not controversial. That's just like, yeah, yeah that's just physics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe you could say that you have a, a wind tunnel CDA, but but that's yes. uh, if 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 you repeat the the experiment. In, in yeah, and that's why wind tunnels when they when they present their you know when manufacturers present their data, they'll give you a sweep, right? They'll give you you know at whatever stated speed is usually thirty miles, fifty kilometers an hour, which is you know <laughs> pretty quick if unless you're a, you know a professional time trialist. Um, that they'll give you a sweep from usually from zero to you know fifteen or twenty degrees of yaw. So they'll tell you how you'll be performing throughout all of these. And usually they're saying like, look, we're, 
you know, they're trying to say we are faster than anybody else. But um, if you are trying to make some decisions about what your fastest setup is, it's important to, to understand that the wind direction is going to is going to make a difference. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's get on to the aero sensors. Which ones uh, currently exist on the market already available for purchase? And which ones would you say are close to release uh, is still in development, but, but fairly getting getting there? Sure. So uh, the ones that uh, we know for sure are available. So the first one um, on the market and probably the one that, that uh, well, one of the sensors that kicked this all off was uh, was Nocio. Uh, they were a spinoff of uh, Argon, um, a brand out of Quebec, um, a cycling brand out of Quebec. And uh, they were the first sensor on the market. They were the sensor that I first purchased and that I have uh, some experience with, although not in the last, uh, not in the last 18 months, but I, I have used it in the past. I know a lot of very smart folks who, who do use it. Um, so that is one sensor, uh, another sensor that is on the market now. And that is, that sensor is targeted to, uh, to end users. So you, anyone can go on their website and, and buy a sensor. And I believe they're available currently. Um, and they can have a sensor in their hands fairly quickly. Uh, another, uh, Canadian company, um, called Aerolab. These folks are out of Calgary. Um, another former guests of our, um, of, of our show. Uh, their product is, uh, their, their business model is different. So theirs is designed more at, uh, at teams or coaches or bike fitters. Uh, and the idea there is that as a fitter, you would, you would get this device with a lot of support from Aerolab and, and then you would run, um, you, you know, you, that's, you would build it into your business model. So the, the big thing about Aerolab, and I haven't uh, had any firsthand experience with their sensors, um, um, partially because of this point is that they're, they're, they're very expensive. Um, so I think the, I believe the Notio product, the latest price I saw from them was 600 us dollars, I believe, um, don't maybe quote me on that. Maybe check out their price on their website. But Aerolab, when I saw their prices before, you had to send them an email and find out what their prices were. Their prices were were much much higher than that because they were again designed at the at the professional user rather than the um, the the end consumer. There's another company uh, called Ghibli out of uh, out of Canada as well. I think I believe they're based in uh, in the East Coast in Nova Scotia, um, and they they have a sensor that's ready. And they were actually they were testing it, and I think they got caught up in the in the chip shortage in the last couple of years. So they their their product is going to be available. They say you know any day as soon as they figure out their their supply chain issues. Um, so so they're another product that is available. Um, and as far as I know, those are the only ones that you can, well, you can't buy Ghibli yet, but, uh, Aerotune and Noshio are the only sensor products that, that you can, uh, you can go out and buy currently. Sorry, Aero, Aerolab. Did you Sorry. say Aerotune? Yes. Aero, yeah, I, Aerolab. yeah, I misspoke. I, I, yeah. Aerolab. Aerotune is on my mind because they are a sensor less product, which uh, I think we'll, we'll, we can talk about a little bit later, but yeah. they are also available. So they're, they're an option. They don't currently have a sensor now interestingly they are developing a sensor i don't know when uh uh when that sensor will be available for purchase but uh yeah they are they they do have one in the works yeah and there are uh, are there any other sen- sensors that you're aware of i think one is called body rocket or something like that out of uk i believe that is but i i don't know anything about the state of it and yeah and i don't some, either some others 
I, I've I've looked through their website. Um, I don't I don't either. Um, they are um, they they have a, some really interesting ideas. I think they they've got uh, uh, sensors that are located in multiple locations on the bike, so they're not just looking at uh, at uh, a sensor in free air. Generally, uh, these sensors you want to place them in the cleanest air possible. By clean air, you it, this is kind of the air that first hits your bicycle. Right. So you don't want to put a sensor on your seat tube because there's all, there are all sorts of upstream elements of both the, the human body and the bicycle that affect the airflow at the seat tube. So you want to put the sensor in free air, but, uh, body rocket, and I have no idea what they're doing because I, I've, like I said, I've looked through the, through their website, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen any research on what they're up to. Um, but they have more than one sensor. So it's an interesting approach. They might have a really interesting solution. I just don't know much about them. Um, I know, uh, Swiss side, uh, who are, uh, very, you know, a very well-regarded company in uh, in the aerodyna- cycling aerodynamic space, coming from F- Formula One. Um, they've been developing a sensor for for many, many years, and there, I was just, uh, we just had uh, JP Ballard on on our show, uh, who is the CEO of Suicide, and his uh, his position on the sensor was, we'll release it when we think it's it's perfect or it's or it's ready, let's say. So, um, the I suspect that that sensor is coming soon, but I I do not know. Um, the, the one from Aerotune, like I said, so they, they have a sensorless model currently that's available to the public. Um, and, but they are also working on a, on a sensor that is coming out in the, in the near future. Also, I, I think, you know, companies are always cagey about release dates because, you know, you never know, but, uh, I know they're, they, they do have prototype sensors that they've tested in the wind tunnel and in the field with, uh, well, according to them, very good results. So, uh, that's another one I'm looking, I'm looking at. Um, there's also a company called Streamlines, and they were spun off from VeloSense. Street, yeah. Streamlines were spun off from VeloSense, and, from and while VeloSense. you while you looked that up, I looked up the no show aerometer pricing, and it is indeed six hundred dollars or five hundred ninety nine okay. <laughs> with free shipping. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that's so, okay. Yeah. So so let's let's maybe focus on 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 the ones that are uh, currently on the market, which is basically. Notio and and Aerolab, which is mm-hmm. only for fitters and teams, um, and maybe those that are very close. It sounds like the Ghibli one might be really close. Uh, yes. Also based on I listened to your interview uh, a few weeks ago. By the time this ep- this episode comes out, um, how do they do these different sensors differentiate from from each other? Can you give an overview of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, so at the end of the day, they're all trying to capture the same thing, right? They're they're trying to give the the cyclist a CDA value, right? Um, and if I can circle back to wh- where you started this uh, this conversation, Michael, about uh, live CDA versus testing, um, let's let's put a pin in the live CDA. Let's say for now that's not it's not reality, but the the testing um, element I think is 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 really a useful te- a useful use case and something that is uh, possible to do with current technology. So uh, very briefly, it's where um, you would design an experiment. You would say, okay, I'm trying to figure out if this, if helmet A is faster than helmet B or if position A is faster than position B or, you know, choose any other thing you can, you want to choose on your, you want to change on your bicycle or on your setup and you want to test which one is the fastest under those conditions. So um, in that, in that scenario, um, any of these devices or these services is trying to tell you, is, is trying to do a few things. So it's trying to give you a CDA which is, you know, the coefficient of drag times area for that particular setup on that particular day, as we talked about. Uh, but also even, I would say even more importantly to identify the magnitude of the Delta of the difference between two, um, uh, two setups or two, two, uh, choices of equipment. So that's what, that's what they're trying to do in, in, 
how they do this, the what makes uh, testing or you know uh, yeah what makes aerodynamic testing very challenging is the uh, the effect of all the stacking of errors. So um, for this, we for, to to understand what I'm talking about here, we'd have to rewind a little bit and and uh, just have a quick primer on uh, how aerodynamics plays into or why aerodynamics is important to cycling. So uh, I hope you can bear with me for for sure. a little bit of a of a digression here. Um, so you know, as a cyclist, uh, you're putting power into the pedals. You know that that power is turning your your you know transmitted to the back wheel. The back wheel is what makes you go. So there's a few things that are holding you back when you're at when, when you're riding your bike, the first one and the one we can e- most easily cross off is acceleration. Obviously, when you need to accelerate, you need to add more power. Um, so um, acceleration is is a very important thing to be able to capture, but uh, it's one that we can, if we're riding fairly steady state, we can we can sort of cross off. Uh, the next really big one is uh, changes in elevation. Um, so anytime you, you, you know, let's say you go up a hill, you're adding potential energy to the system and the system in this case is you plus your bicycle. Uh, so in order to add uh, potential energy into the system, you got to put it in from somewhere. And, and in this case, again, it's coming from you, from the, the metabolic energy that's consumed inside your body and then, uh, turned into mechanical energy by your muscles. And, uh, obviously again, as anyone who's ridden up a hill knows very well, going uphill is harder than not than riding on flat roads. So that's the energy going into the system. Um, so that's another, that's another, um, that's another component that we have to either measure or calculate. Um, then you have, uh, rolling resistance, right? So that's the, that's the energy required to overcome the resistance of the interaction between your tires and the ground. And this is actually, it's not a massive magnet. The magnitude of this, um, resistance isn't massive, at least on good tires, but it's, it's quite complicated because, uh, it used to be thought that, you know, higher pressure is always better, but that's no longer the case because you get, you get two, there are two components to rolling resistance and I'm not going going to go down that road. Suffice to say, we have to understand what rolling resistance is and we have to uh, account for it. Um, and then the last one, which is probably the easiest one to deal with is, is drivetrain drag, right? So how much mechanical losses are you experiencing in transmitting power from your foot down to the, uh, down to the pavement and the rear wheel? So there are some, you know, they're, they're there, but they're somewhere in the, in the 2% on a, on a very efficient drivetrain and the sometimes even below 2%, but as high as, you know, five or 6% if you're, or even higher if you're on a, a rusty commuter bike, you know? So it's, uh, it, it's again, a, it's, it's, it's something that, um, that we need to capture, but at least it's, it's very repeatable from test to test. So those are the things, acceleration, um, uh, changes, elevation changes, uh, the, uh, the effects of rolling resistance, the effects of drivetrain. And the fifth one is aerodynamic drag. So we're trying to calculate aerodynamic drag, but in order for us to, we know what power in is because we have a power meter, right? So obviously power meters are required to do this testing. So we know what power in is. We know how fast we're going. Um, so, the, so in order to figure out what, uh, what are all the things that are holding us back, we have to account for all of those other four things in order to calculate the fifth thing, which is aerodynamic drag. And so in order to calculate all those other four things, there are sensors. So there are things that we have to measure or calculate and the sensors that are allowing us to measure all of those other things, they come with errors, right? And sometimes they're very good and sometimes they're less good. And if you're coming down, if you're, if you're making a claim as, uh, as an aero sensor that, oh, look, we're going to give you a, 
wind tunnel accuracy. So that's within, I think, usually like 2%. We're going to give you 2% accuracy on our calculation or 1% accuracy on our calculation, which is what you need. I think you kind of need like, it's, it's yeah, it's 1% accuracy that you need or better if you're going to, if you're going to have the resolution to, to choose between helmets or to choose between, sometimes between skin suits. Like sometimes the, the, the difference is bigger, but sometimes it's quite small. Um, you need a very accurate, you know, and repeatable value of for your aerodynamic drag. But if all of the other components that fit into that power formula, all of the other losses that are measured by other sensors that are not very accurate, then your the stacking of the errors between all of your other sensors can sometimes completely uh, obfuscate your what you're trying to um, what you're trying to measure. Does that make sense, Michael? That does make sense, and and that's why I well one of the reasons that some or a lot of aerometers well not a lot there there's not a lot out there <laughs> too but, many out there yeah. <laughs> but but for example the use of speed sensor is required with uh, with at least a no show and and i presume that that's because they just consider it more accurate than the gps although in your recent interview with the guys from ghibli they said that they'd figure out a way to make a really accurate gps with some filtering as well for bad data so so yeah. it seems to be coming, but yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, it make, makes sense. You need to control for those errors and, and minimize those errors from different sources. Yeah. And so the, the and it's, it, it, it seems like an impossible task if, uh, on the one hand, that if you have, you know, we had this calculation in our first conversation with JP Ballard, um, where if each one of those sensors has a 1% error and you have, let's say you have a speed sensor because you need a speed sensor because you need instantaneous acceleration data, GPS lags, right? So GPS is good for capturing distance and capturing average speed, but it's not very good. I would say it's very not good usually for capturing, you know, acceleration and deceleration. Now, when you're doing a test, you're trying not to do this, but it's going to happen from time to time. So that's why wheel speed sensor is important. The hardest one to solve, and this was in our conversations with, uh, um, with Mark Graveline, who was one of the initial engineers on Notio, um, the hardest challenge to solve is is elevation. Because even fairly minor changes in elevation, because of the outsized influence, especially on a heavier rider, of uh, of the of the um, that potential energy uh, sink when you're when you're riding. Um, having very accurate elevation data is essential. And so getting elevation right is is very, very tricky because currently what do we use? We use barometric altimeters. So these altimeters, first of all, they drift. So that means the data changes can change over time, even if you're not going up a hill. And anyone who's looked at their anyone who's looked up their at their elevation profile, even with the best cycling computers or or running watches with barometric altimeters, know that sometimes you get complete nonsense data. And if you need highly accurate data to get uh, your your aerodynamic data, you know, pulled out of the whole equation. Any error in your elevation is going to blow you up. It's going to give you. It's going to make your your aerometer a random number generator. So it's it's just not it's not going to be a useful device. So it seems it seems like an impossible problem. And the way that all of these people who are much much smarter than me are solving this problem is through software, right? It's through using um, it's through using some sensors to verify other sensors. For example, barometric altimeters uh, can be you can use um, IMUs, which are, um, which are the sensors that can, that can detect uh, um, angle and movement in, in six, it, you know, ang- so angular rotation in, in three axes, as well as movement in three, in three axes. So those uh, little IMUs can be used to uh, error correct your barometric altimeter and vice versa. So if you can come up with a very clever algorithm to do this, you can actually solve this problem. And this is why 
um, creating a good aerometer is very hard. And this is why I think, you know, JP Ballard and his team are taking so long to, to come out with one because it's, it's not a trivial program. It's not a trivial, uh, problem. So to answer your question, and I'm sorry, it's taken like 20 minutes to, to get to one answer, but to answer your question, Michael, of what the differentiation is between the, between the different models, I think, uh, I think it's it's the ability to to do proper error error handling and to give you like useful data, right? To be able to do what they're what they're claiming that they can do. Well, Michael, I'm very impressed that you still remember the question <laughs> after. <laughs> I was after coming that, back Michael. to it eventually. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Uh, yeah, and and with the 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 elevation, one one interesting aspect that I know that the testing protocols of some of these sensors use is to just do an out and back so that you finish at the same place that you started, which mm-hmm. kind of simplifies the problem a bit. But but then again, that if if that's required, then that kind of invalidates any other use outside of controlled testing so yes um yeah okay so so they're not super different that's that's good then let's move on to which sensors uh do you personally have experience with and what has what has that experience been like yeah so uh the only sensor that i've actually used has been uh, has been the nocio um and the nocio in good conditions is uh is quite quite a reasonable sensor um provided that you can double check that the that the elevation checks out so again it's and it's been about 18 months since i've used the nocio and when it first came out it was very uh it was very let's say rough um you you still had to use a lot of uh post data analysis uh you basically they had a a custom plugin into Golden Cheetah, which uh, if you're familiar with, it's kind, of, it's kind of like a WKO product. So it's like a, an advanced cycling analytics platform. So you had to uh, import the data that you got from the Notio into Golden Cheetah and then actually do the, the virtual elevation, the Chung method um, analysis in order to to, al- to arrive at a CDA. Um then, then they went to a more of an app model where they, where, you know, you do the test, you sync the, the device with your phone, and then the phone would spit out a, a CDA for you. Uh, and I got reasonably repeatable data from that. I've heard from other folks that you still have to be quite careful with the, with the elevation. Um, that folks were still going back into Golden Cheetah and just double checking to make sure that the elevation, if they were doing an out and back test, would, would zero out, which is obviously important if you're, you know, finishing where you started. So I think, I think Notio is, um, is a fairly useful product and it's it is it's become the ui on it has become pretty uh pretty reasonable like it's it's quite straightforward to use with the app um personally i have a lot more experience and with uh, with other folks like folks who i've i've tested uh using the aerotune uh platform and aerotune is a sensorless platform at this point uh as i said they are developing a sensor but it's not currently available so aerotune uh, just uses uh speed from your speed sensor, power, uh, elevation data, and um, they don't actually measure wind velocity. And what they do is uh, the, the way they overcome their inability to measure wind velocity because they don't have a, a, a wind sensor is just repeated passes of the same of the same uh, stretch of uh, out and back terrain um, in order to reduce the uh, the error signal. So they just, uh, so that's, that's the, that's the way their algorithm works. Uh, I think it works rather well if you can set up the, the experiment correctly. And the, the trick with using Aerotune well is, uh, is having, uh, a f- quite a flat, um, smooth, stretch of road that has minimal traffic and that's really the challenge and to your point the point you made earlier that that is very that is rather limiting uh in terms of in terms of its application but if you have that available to you and you're interested in testing aerotune is a has an excellent uh 
UI uh, and UX and actually quite a bit of um, quite a bit of guidance on how to do these tests well. And when done well, when done when set up correctly, uh, Aerotune can be used very effectively to uh, uh, to do an Aero test uh, again prov- with a very big provisio of of you having the access to the right kind of uh, testing route. Yeah, and another advantage of of using Aerotune would be uh, that it's uh, very affordable. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's great. You pay, um, I believe it's. 20 or 20 euro a month and you can basically test as many times as you want in that month yeah tw- tw- 25 per month i, I believe so, yeah okay yeah yeah 20 might uh, be the coach price yeah 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 possibly um yeah and and uh well, well one thing with the airtune sensorless system then I, I assume that you would also have to um either depending on well i guess when you get efficient you can do uh, you you can do a test with a couple of setups and, and you can be done fairly quickly but mm-hmm. if you're trying a lot of different configurations and you have to do multiple passes with each configuration, then wind might cha- the wind might change over the course of that time that you're testing. Let's say you're doing a two-hour test- testing session. Yep. That, that might not be um, necessarily ideal for that type of system. Or, or can, it, can it handle that sort, that sort of change in wind? No, so absolutely. So the the way it handles, so it, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's not ideal because as we talked about earlier, yeah, when the wind changes, your data changes. So if you're, if you're trying to comp- do, you know, an ABCD comparison and then the wind conditions have changed, then, then you're, you have to be very careful about, uh, uh, about interpreting those results. So one thing that Aerotune does is it reports the error and it reports the um, the calculated wind conditions for you. And so if you know, and it, there's guidance in the in the how to guys of uh, okay, if the if the wind changes by more than so yeah, you, you you make a very good point, Michael. And um, so you so Aerotune reports the wind the the apparent wind speed and direction, and the guidance is if it's greater than. X and I forget what X is that you want to disregard those results or you want to retest your base conditions again. Hmm. But this would be this this would be the case with um, with most other aerometers unless they have you know well I'm going to take that back um, with aerometers who can that can very accurately measure wind speed and direction then uh, then you can you can avoid this issue. Uh, but to give you a practical example uh, with unless um, depending on how much time you need to actually make changes to the bicycle itself. Like for example, if you're changing only uh, clothing or helmets or hydration settings, uh, hydration setup. And so you don't actually have to do a lot of wrenching, a lot of like front end adjustments um, in a testing session of, uh, of four hours. It's very possible to do, you know, get good data on five or six, um, maybe even seven or eight uh, setups. Mm, yeah it just no, depends that, that, on how how much how much riding you're willing to do as the as the athlete as the test subject yeah yeah for sure um yeah and and it sounds like what is the reason because it sounds like you're preferring air tune at the moment the sensorless system compared to no what what is the the main reason or the main reasons for that yeah, so I mean, it's a little bit of you know when you're the hammer, everyone's a nail, and it's just my experience with I have far more experience with Aerotune than I do have with uh, with uh, Nocio, uh, but the big reason is that the the uh, I, I've dug into and I've into the guts of the Aerotune system, and I've had many conversations with the with their founder uh, Sebastian Schlerike, and I just have a lot more confidence in uh, in the end results than I would with uh, with the Nocio system, and. Primarily, it's because uh, at least uh, the last time I looked into the Nocio, um, the 
uh, elevation correction was not done very well. So there are still cases where I've done out and backs and I've had, you know, my ending elevation has shown up as being different than my starting elevation. And because of, again, the outsized role that elevation plays in this uh, experimental setup, uh, that uh, erodes my confidence in that system. Yeah, no, it would for sure. Um, if if you're so, would you rec- recommend for for athletes that that are interested in in testing aerodynamics and and going down this line? Who would you recommend doing it for? What type of athlete uh, would would that be, and what sort of conditions would would need to be in place? For example, access to to a good road and and so on. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh... So look, I think this would be useful for anyone who's curious, right? So just like just like any kind of, I would advise people to treat it like an experiment, right? Just to see what you and and within with any good experiment, you'd want to have a good idea of what you're trying to learn and what what questions you're trying to answer, right? So are you just you're just trying to become you know as aerodynamically optimized as possible, for example, or are, do you have specific things that you want to see? Like is this position faster than another position? So anyone anyone who who is curious who has that question in mind i think is a good candidate for uh for aero testing um with uh with aero testing the kind of the, the caution i would uh that i would offer for people who want to do it themselves is to be patient because it is actually um it's at least at this stage of sensor development or, or platform development it's not super easy to get right. So you you kind of have to take, you have to do a lot of things right in order for the results to make sense and to be actionable. So with that in mind, anyone who who has the time and the patience, I would say it's it's great to play around with because there are things that you learn that you never thought really, you know, played much of a role that actually end up playing quite a substantial one. Um, for example, like, you know, sometimes hand position or, or uh, something that I learned in, in testing myself and others is, and I sort of knew that this was important, but I didn't know just how big of a, of a, of a difference it made is head position. So just how you hold your head on the bike. Um, makes a, a massive difference for a lot of people. Not everyone, but for a lot of people in, uh, in how, you know, how quickly you can go for the same amount of power. So I think anyone can benefit from it, provided that they have that, you know, th- they're coming at it from a, from a place of curiosity, uh, and they have the, the patience to learn, um, you know, to learn the nuances and to do the, to give the tests the time that they need to be carried out, at least at present, because uh, again, the technology is still very much maturing. Yeah. And uh, what would you say, what would your recommendation be for that type of athlete uh, at the current moment? Uh, would would you recommend to g- going for Aerotune sensorless testing or perhaps investing in a no-show or would you even potentially recommend waiting for one of the sensors that might come out, come out any, any day now and, and that, that you are excited about that, that might have, have, have Im- improved upon the currently available options? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I, I don't think that there's a sensor on the market right now that I would be super excited to recommend. Okay, so uh, there's a, there's definitely a couple that I would love to get my hands on. Um, I know Ghibli offered to uh, let me let me try theirs when it's ready, and I'm I'd be definitely keen to see how how well that sensor stacks up against uh, you know like against Aerotune, for example. I know Mark Graveline is working on a on his own little gizmo, his like you know his two man <laughs> development project. Um, pr- probably the two that I'm most excited about are the sensor from Aerotune, because again, they have a very well-developed platform already, which I think it could dovetail very nicely with. And also the sensor from Swiss side, uh, because they, they've spent, they've spent more time developing a sensor than I think anyone else out there. So I'm really curious to see 
how good that product is when it comes out. Um, but currently that, that leads me to say there is no sensor out there that I would, you know, wholly trust. Uh, but the beauty of Aerotune is that it's just so inexpensive and, and approachable, right? So in order to use the Aerotune platform, all you need is a power meter and, um, a little digression. You, you would want a dual sided power meter for this, for this, uh, study. Um, I would, I'm a big fan of single sided power meters just for, for, you know, cost effectiveness. But in this case, you'd want a dual sided power meter so that you're actually getting ac- actual power rather than, you know, uh, left leg times two power. Um, and, uh, you need a power meter, you would need a speed sensor, uh, and, uh, a Garmin head unit. And that's really all you need. Uh, and most of us already have all, all or almost all of those things. And then you're paying 25 euro a month and you can go out and test, uh, provided of course you do have that, you can find, uh, that stretch of road. Now they have, um, uh, they have options for as short as 500 meters for a stretch plus uh, a couple hundred meters on each side. So let's say 800 meters, uh, total clear roadway, um, upwards of, uh, 1400 meters. So if you can find a stretch of road like that in your, in your community, or that's not super far from you, then it's a very kind of low barrier to entry way to experiment with aerodynamic, uh, aerodynamic testing. And even just doing some very basics, like just, just see what your number is. You go out there and ride it, try to hold a steady position, steady, steady speed and see what that number is. And then you might be surprised. You might be, you know, most people who haven't done any optimization usually have quite a bit of room to improve. And then you can also, you know, you, you get a number, you compare it to, uh, some of the, some of the other folks on the platform and you can say, huh, I'm already really fast. I don't want to invest very much more time or money into doing this or not fast, but aerodynamic. Or you might, you might learn, like I learned the first time I did, I was like, huh, that doesn't look very good at all. I, uh, I have a lot of room to improve. And then, and then I want to, then I want to improve because you can, you can save some real, uh, some real time in, uh, in, in races by improving your aerodynamic performance here. Yeah. I think that's an interesting aspect of their platform that they have that you can kind of, uh, I haven't seen a lot of it, but, but I have used the metabolic testing a bit. So, so I do mm-hmm. know that they have that social aspect, seeing what other people are doing and what test results other people have and, and so on. So, so that's interesting. Yeah, if you, you, you can choose to share your data, right? So there's a lot of power users on there or people who are, you know, who are just like interested in the community. Um, and they will always share their, their results. And yeah. so sometimes they're a little bit like, wow, holy smokes, how the heck did you get that low? <laughs> yeah. So you have to be, you know, you, you kind of have to leave your ego at the door when you look at some of these results. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can, and then, and they're always willing to answer questions too. So you, for example, if you were, you know, you, you can run a test and your, your number is whatever your number is. And you can say, and you can also take photos, which you can attach to, to your report and you can post those photos. And then people will give you free advice, you know, advice that you could pay hundreds of dollars for even, you know, upwards of thousands of dollars for, you can get free advice here. And it's, I would say it's, you know, most of the advice is going to be pretty reasonable on this, on this forum here. Hmm. And is there an option for looped circuits or does it have to be an out and back at this point, no. It, it, with Aerotune, it has to be it has to be on back. But a lot of the sensors that are being developed uh, will do looped circuits because looped circuits are very attractive because it's um, it you know you can just continue to do laps and it's uh, it's easier to execute and easier to find the, the requisite distance too. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> All right. Um, wh- where do you think that space is going in the in the next couple of years? Let's say, and and where do you hope it's going? Yeah, I think um, as I mentioned, there there are a couple of uh, hardware. Uh, 
hardware items that I'm very excited to see from uh, the likes of Suicide and Aerotune. Also really curious to see what Mark uh, Gravelines Gizmo end up ends up doing. Uh, if he, if he, I don't know if he's just playing around with it or if he actually is going to commercialize it at some point. Um, so I think there's so many interesting and very, very smart people working on this problem and have been working on it for about 10 years. And I think they're, we're quite close to having uh, very good products out there that you can just strap on a bike and not have to worry about your course too much and go out there and ride and get useful data almost from every ride, which is, which is kind of the dream so that you don't have to, you know, set it up as a test and go out there and you're testing, right? So you've used a day of training, something it might be useful training too, but you've, you're the whole point of this day was testing. Mm. It's the dream is to be able to do, to build your testing into your riding. So even if you don't get live CDA, you know, even if you're not getting that, you know, oh, I moved my head and look, my number dropped by, you know, 0.02 or whatever. Um, even if you don't get that, if you can incorporate testing into everyday riding, that makes it a much more, again, that lowers the barrier to entry because then you don't have to sacrifice a whole day of training in order to do this, in order to do this testing. Um, so that's, that's really what I'm looking forward to. And I do think, um, as I said earlier, that within the next uh, 12 to 24 months, especially as we're, you know, as, as supply lines are hopefully uh, easing up a little bit on the electronic side, that we're going to see some really good devices out there yeah. that can do that. Let's hope so. Yeah, that, that sounds sounds very good. And uh, I'm excited for it and uh, and hope that, yeah, we, we get to see those developments. If, if even part of that becomes true in the next couple of years, then that's already exciting. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Is there anything we missed on this topic about aero sensors? Anything else you want to mention or aero testing in general? Um, uh, and error testing in general, I think, uh, no, I think Michael, we covered it pretty well. Um, the, the other option of course is, uh, especially in Europe, but increasingly in North America as well, uh, for folks who don't want to learn about it, who don't, that's, that's a, that's maybe a, not a generous way of putting it for people who, who want to use the services of someone who's already an expert in the field. There are a lot of people out there. So definitely Europe is leading the charge in this. There, you know, the folks at, uh, at Aerotune are doing some, are doing aero testing. There's tons of folks in the UK, like Dan Bigham, for example, comes to mind who's doing, who's doing a ton of excellent work with some very high level athletes, uh, Martin Top Madsen folks who are very, very knowledgeable in the aerodynamic space and have excellent tools at their disposal. Um, so if you are, uh, you know, the, the kind of person who is you know, motivated by performance and wants to spend a little bit of money uh, in order to become faster, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, this is something that, uh, you know, I'm going to plug myself here, uh, that we're doing uh, this summer again in a very, quite a, a small scale, but uh, not, not nearly to that scale of the folks in Europe, of course. Um, so there are resources available to people who don't necessarily want to buy a sensor or want to learn about it themselves um, to hire the you know uh, hire an expert yeah I, mean, for them. I would second that recommendation so strongly I, I recently went to to the velodrome and and did some testing with the no-show but also uh, backing it up with just velodrome modeling that uh, actually with a close friend of mm-hmm. mine but who who does uh, these aerodynamic things uh and he's an expert in that, and and uh, and works with it all the time. Uh, does a PhD in that as well. So so anyway, like to for me to to get the same results and and the same learn the things that I learned in four hours of testing with him, it would have probably taken me a couple hundred hours to to figure it out on my own. And yeah, it's just <laughs> so worth it. Whether whether it's error testing or something else to 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 invest in invest in mm-hmm, talking with people true. that that have that do that and are experts in 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 that in that area. 
Yeah, I mean the parallel yeah. is like coaching, right? So there's there's lots of reasons why you know you can learn all the things that a coach knows if you if you have the time and energy and desire to do it, and uh, or, or or just go straight to the coach. The other thing that we didn't really talk about is, uh, you know, is you I said treat it as an experiment. You go out there and you you find what your numbers are, and then even if you do have a number, then what, right? So you could just go through, you know, you could go through different helmets and see which one is fastest. You could go through different skin suits, see which one's fastest. That's a little bit more straightforward. But if you want to kind of make the the uh, uh, go for the the big deltas, and those all come from changing your mm. position on the bike, right? And of course, that all works together. You know, helmet, helmets are dependent on position, and and kit is dependent on position. So knowing what to do with your position, how to you know how to go from where you are now to a position that's still comfortable, still you still biomechanically efficient, but is aerodynamically more efficient. That again takes some uh, takes some experience and takes you know uh, the people that have done this and have achieved results. They're probably in a better position to get there rather than um, sort of uh, a, you know a trial and error. No, exactly. That, that was <laughs> that, that my personal experience with the Velodrome testing I did was exactly that. We for the first day of testing, uh, which was two hours, we tested a bunch of equipment things and and all of the test results were mm-hmm. exactly what i expected so so really it, it was just no confirmation yeah. but the second day of change of testing was the the position testing that we did and and just to even know what to test based on how i looked on the bike and and so on like that's something that well some of the things maybe mm-hmm. i would have had a clue of but some of them i was were completely new to me and uh, and then yeah to actually do the tests and and uh, get get actual information from it and see what what changes i could do to positively impact my aerodynamics from the position side of things that was what really what what helped me improve my aerodynamics because the equipment changes or equipment testing it just confirmed what i kind of already knew even though i hadn't confirmed Hmm. it (laughs) yeah and that's you you make a really excellent point um and i'll I'll kind of piggyback on that and say that there are not a lot of really robust generalizations in in positions uh, in the in let's say in the uh, the influence of positions on aero drag, right? So there's certain things that that generally work, but there are very few things that always work. Um, and equipment is the is the opposite. Uh, no, not quite the opposite. It's not is not the same. So for example, we know that a deep wheel, especially in the front. Or well, a deep wheel is going to be faster than than a than a shallow wheel. We know that's going to be the case, and that's going to be the case regardless of what your body size is, regardless of your position. It's just going to be faster. A disc wheel is going to be faster than a non-disc wheel. We talked about that when we we're talking about tri versus road bike. But in terms of a uh, what's going to be faster for for an individual um, in terms of position, that's not always the same. So, for example, you know the the, the mantis position of the hands, right? So the high hands riding position uh, for more than half of the population, it is faster. But for a non-trivial percentage of the population, it's slower, right? It's just because of the way that the air flows around their body, right? Our bodies are very differently shaped. Some some of us have big legs. Some of us have skinny legs. Some of us have big waists, small waists. You know, women obviously have different morphologies than men. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's very difficult to generalize and to say this position will be faster for everybody. And that is why you have to test it, right? And that's why the, that's the other advantage of, of aero testing and the, you know, doubly so when you're being guided yeah. by an expert. No, uh, that's, that's a perfect uh, note to end on. I think uh, we already did the rapid fire questions in, in last week's episode. So, uh, but uh, for those <laughs> listeners that might not have heard that, uh, just let us know again, where can people find you and, and follow you? 
Yeah. Um, Michael, thank you again for, for having me on. And um, for, for your listeners who uh, enjoyed this conversation, I also do a, uh, a podcast called Endurance Innovation with my friend and co-host, Andrew Buckroll. Um, and we talk a lot about aerodynamics, as you can probably imagine. We All the folks that I've mentioned on the show, we've had as guests. So even if I haven't tried their systems, and of course, some of them don't exist yet, uh, they've been guests on our show. So they've uh, had the opportunity to explain their, uh, their setups. Uh, we also uh, spend a bit of time talking about uh, heat transfer, which is another passion of ours. We're both mechanical engineers after all. Um, and then we, we talk a little bit about training uh, and a little bit about coaching and psychology and pretty much anything that piques our interest in the world of, uh, of endurance sports. So if you if you like this conversation, uh, you want to give us a follow, that'd be great. And that's uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, endurance innovation. And uh, we also have a, an Instagram channel, but uh, all I really use that for is to post uh, updates on yep. on episodes. But that's also. I'll, I'll try to put links in the in the show notes uh, to to the relevant guests, and uh, yeah, maybe you can help me find them. But I, I think a lot, a lot, most of them I listened to for already, sure. so so I kind of know which ones they are. Uh, but yeah, I can definitely recommend the podcast. And uh, thank you once again, Michael, for coming on uh, the show and uh, sharing your knowledge about this topic. Really interesting. Much appreciated. Michael, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. And as always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. I have links to a bunch of aero-related episodes here, uh, a lot of them from the Endurance Innovation podcast, but also some of them on that triathlon show. Uh, in total, you have probably 30 hours of aero content in these links, and I've listened to almost all of those episodes, uh, including, of course, the ones on Endurance Innovation. And uh, I know that those episodes are really great. Most of the manufacturers of aero meters have been on the Endurance Innovation podcast, and they are in that list of episodes. Uh, so if you're interested in aerodynamics and aero testing then really take this list and start working your way through it and uh, i think you'll be incredibly knowledgeable by the end of it if you want to improve your triathlon performance or you have specific goals that you want to achieve uh, then you want to maximize your chance of achieving them then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or training plan whether you're a beginner or a seasoned veteran we have options for everybody so we would love to help you and discuss around if and how we can do that uh, find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can continue discussing from there next monday on the podcast we have dr philip larsen from the swedish school of sport and health sciences and we'll discuss topics on the intersection of cell biology and applied physiology like cellular responses to high intensity interval training overload periods and much much more uh, we will it will be sciencey but we will also have uh, try to have a lot of applied takeaways so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss it i think that will be an exciting one finally big thanks to our sponsors precision fuel and hydration that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan and book a free video consultation with the team to refine your strategy use the code tts20 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Zenate. Use the Zenate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and most importantly, your swim training consistency. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.